Jesus said to his religious opponents, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify to me. Gracious God, help us this day to see Jesus and follow in his way. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So some years ago, I met with a young couple for premarital counseling, it's something we do. The groom was a son of a very active church leader. The bride grew up outside the church, and as I found out, she was a committed atheist. She was vigorous about that, but had graciously agreed to the Episcopal service because she knew it meant a lot to her in-laws. I actually, I didn't quite know what to do about all this, but I admired that in her. And I liked this couple, and I enjoyed lively conversation, even though I sensed that the bride was doing her level best to convince me that my decision to become a priest was kind of a mistake. <laughs> I appreciated her ardor, preferring it to the tepid relationship to faith that I had experienced with some couples. She really pushed the envelope, seeing how much God language could be removed from the service. <laughs> Not much, I told her. At our last session, they gave me a present. It was a book entitled, The Bible Tells Me So. The subtitle of the book, The Uses and Abuses of Scripture. The table of contents will give the book away. Here's one chapter, how scripture was used to defend slavery. The next chapter, how scripture was used by abolitionists. How scripture was used to deny women's leadership role in the church, how scripture was used to promote women's ordination, how scripture reckons creation care unnecessary, how scripture calls us all to be environmentalists. You get the point. And then on the cover, uh, there's a quote from Shakespeare. Even the devil can quote scripture, which I think the bard of Avon swiped from the gospel you just heard. I sensed that behind the gift was a hope that I might decide that the Bible could not be taken seriously. I wonder if you have ever run into that temptation. It had actually the opposite effect for me. It made me think about how to steward scripture and how to read it. Even more to the point, how to apply it. I recognize for sure the ways that scripture and religion have been both used and abused, how wars have been based on religion. I recognize how religious leaders disappoint, how they exclude and injure people, how our nation divides along religious lines. It made me wonder how to move forward in the journey of faith. We might be tempted to give up on organized religion or disorganized religion in the case of the Episcopal Church, to call it a day, to join the nuns, those who with no religious affiliation are to join the duns, those who've had it. I believe that there's another way, which is maybe why we're all here. As we think about how to live faithfully in the world, take a look at the way Jesus used Scripture, the way he interpreted it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus noted laws that said you should do not, not do dastardly things like murder or adultery, other bad stuff. Then he said, but I say to you, I say to you, you're as guilty of those things uh, if your heart is dismissive or covetous of others. 
You're as guilty as if you'd done those things. For Jesus, faithfulness, faithfulness moving forward in the journey was a matter of where your heart is. Jesus knew all too well that the law absolutely forbade work on the Sabbath, yet he went out of his way to heal on the Sabbath, to do that work, making the in-your-face point to religious leaders that compassion trumped religious rules. It was a matter of the heart. Today's gospel, we read that after Jesus' baptism, the Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tested by the devil in a series of temptations. Lots of scripture gets thrown around. Jesus knows his Bible. So does the devil. And that encounter is where we begin this season of Lent each year with the implicit question of what actually is going to guide us? What is going to guide you? What is going to guide me as we move forward in a world where religion is both used and abused and where we are assaulted by manifold temptations, as right one language puts it? These tests in the desert get Jesus ready for the fact that he got in the most trouble in his life not with outsiders, infidels, scoundrels, pagans, atheists. His biggest trouble was with really religious folks, faithful churchgoers and clergy of his day. In the desert, Jesus' tests were not about lust or greed, or, or Jesus' tests were not about lust or greed or murder or other notorious sins. They were tests about good things, addressing hunger, trust in God, what we worship. And I take that as a caution for those of us who show up at church, and especially those of us who stand up front in these fancy clothes. It comes as a caution in our culture where the Jesus movement can pretty easily get hijacked by political agendas, many of which seem to have missed the memo about love of God and love of neighbor, so clearly commanded by Jesus. So all of that made me think about the temptations that we face as religious folk, as people of faith, some of which were laid out in the Great Litany. How will we face them? How will we contend with them? How will we deal with them? In our individual lives as people of faith, we may be tempted to use religion to make us feel good about ourselves, to make our lives more comfortable, as in the temptation to turn stones into bread. We could probably even find scripture that makes that sound like a good way to go. Case in point, religion that promises prosperity, which is popular in many corners of the American church, giving, give in to the temptation to sidestep the challenge of the way of the cross. I heard about one church on the West Coast that said let was really an acronym. Let's end negative thinking. As people of faith, we might be tempted to view religion as a way of keeping God under control and making God just a little bit more manageable. The devil tells Jesus to test God by jumping off a tower to see if God could really catch him. The devil cites scriptures to make that sound like a really good idea. I wonder if we're ever tempted in our prayers to treat God as valet. Are we tempted to put the Lord of the universe, the Lord of all creation, to the test. Are we ticked off when holy valet doesn't come through the way we want? Does God not realize how lucky God is 
to have us on the team. As people of faith, we might be tempted to worship something other than God. Jesus was promised great power if he would just worship the devil. That devil is sometimes called an angel of light, presenting lovely, shiny items, things we might be called to worship, success in a career, greater wealth, a fine-appearing family, physical fitness, the approval of parents, children, employers, maybe the approval of a congregation. It makes me recall the wisdom of the Desert Father. Do not give your heart to that which will not satisfy your heart. Do not give your heart to that which will not satisfy your heart. As people of faith, we might be tempted to use religious practice to set ourselves a bit above other people. Does our religious practice make us think we're better than somebody else? It's tempting. It's even delicious to denigrate or dismiss ways that faith is expressed in other communities. I've been interested in the uh, Episcopal hubbub on social media about the Asbury Revival or the Super Bowl Jesus commercials, none of which I really know entirely what I think about. But I think the Episcopal Church has plenty to look at in themselves. Thank you very much these days. Um, so we can, we can let that go. Maybe we're tempted to withhold forgiveness or to idolize those cherished resentments that in some perverse way seem to elevate ourselves which actually imply that we have a higher standard for forgiveness than God. We may be tempted to point the finger at others we think are abusing religion, judging them without reflecting on ways we do the same. So I'm a Yankee. I was born in New York, right? And I spend my life right now flying between North and South. And in my travels, I confess that I have been tempted to smug judgment of the embrace of uh, uh, historical embrace of slavery in the South, failing to recognize how discrimination and systematic, systemic racism exist quite close to home, and failing to see how I have and do participate in those things. As people of faith, we might be tempted to give up on the faith altogether because of uh, the way it's been abused. When I hear people say, they don't go to church because the church is just filled with hypocrites. All I can say is guilty as charged. Confessing that, admitting that, good thing to do in Lent. Here we are, trying to move forward faithfully in the world. So are there guiding principles to help us do that? That might be a good question to ask this Lent. On Ash Wednesday, we heard some of Jesus' teaching about practice of religion, and he sums it up by saying, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's a guideline courtesy of our presiding bishop. If it's not about love, it's not about God. So as we begin Lent, this season of self-examination, as we recognize how religion can totally mess things up, join me in asking, where am I giving my heart? Repentance is at the heart of the season, a call to change direction as needed. And that, among other things, calls for the humility as we think about our own religious practice. Because clearly, newsflash, we don't always get it right. <laughs> Preacher Barbara Brown Taylor put it this way, the minute, the minute I believe I know the mind of God is the minute someone needs to tell me to sit down and tell me to breathe into a paper bag. 
or this from Annie Lamott. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Or this from Snoopy, who typed out a book on theology atop his doghouse. The title of this book, which he thought was a very good title, the title of the book, has it ever occurred to you that you might be wrong? <laughs> With humble stance as baseline, as we think about our own religious practice, a bit more wisdom for Barbara Brown Taylor. She said, the only, the only clear line I draw these days is this. When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. It's all a matter of where we give our hearts. So take that as a Lenten question to explore. Where are you giving your heart? Temptations, manifold temptations surround us. We often may give our hearts to that which will not satisfy our heart. Thanks be to God that amidst all those tests, we follow a Lord who went through them, who is with us now guiding us in the way of love. As you and I face manifold temptations and wonder which way to go in our own version of wilderness, may we choose the way of the cross, which is the way of Jesus, which is the way of love, which, as we'll find out on Easter, is the way of life. Amen. Amen.